The following message is a presentation from Grace Baptist Church in Kettering, Ohio. We are at Genesis chapter number three, and we're continuing in our family series this morning. And excited to do so. You've noticed the set, and uh, every night in the second assembly that starts at eight uh, twenty-five, we're going to have a drama, and that's going to be a wonderful, uh, wonderful time. I appreciate all the work that's gone into this this week. We do still need some folks uh, uh, that would help ride on the bus to help with kids, and so if you're interested in doing that and uh, would be willing to help, I'm really at, I need somebody to help me out with that. So if, you'd, uh, if someone would say, I'm going to hear the need and take the lead and talk to Brother Steve Dilhoff, raise your hand back there. If you're a member of our church and can help out with that tonight, uh, that would be a great blessing to us. And uh, many hands make light work. And you know what? This, by the end of this week, we'll all realize, boy, Jesus has blessed us with the opportunity to work together and uh, uh, to uh, fellowship together in the gospel. And that's what we're going to be able to do tonight for Adventure Camp. So we're looking forward to that. We do have an adult class as well tonight. And so I encourage everyone to be out and a part of that this evening. All right. Genesis chapter number three and verse number one. And we're going to read down uh, and got, uh, get the whole story. Get it in mind, and uh, then we'll, we'll go from there. So Genesis 3 and verse number 1, the Bible says, Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field, which the Lord God had made. And he said unto the woman, Yea, hath God said, Ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree, which is in the midst of the garden, God hath said, Ye shall not eat of it, neither shall ye touch it, lest ye die. And uh, before we move on, last week it was interesting. We were talking about setting standards within our home. God was the one who said, Don't eat of it. Uh, evidently, along the, the, the way, uh, there had been a standard set up in the, the home of Adam and Eve. We're not even going to touch it, but uh, that's what she, she mentions here. God specifically said, do not eat of this tree, uh, lest ye die. And verse number four, and the serpent said unto the woman, ye shall not surely die, for God doth know that in the day ye eat thereof, then your eyes shall be opened, and ye shall be as gods, knowing good and evil. And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she, shook, uh, she took of the fruit thereof, and did eat, and gave also unto her husband with her, and he did eat. And the eyes of them... Both were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves aprons. And they heard the voice of the Lord God walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord among, amongst the trees of the garden. And the Lord God called unto Adam and said unto him, Where art thou? And he said, I heard thy voice in the garden, and I was afraid because I was naked, and I hid myself. And he said, Who told thee that thou wast naked? Hast thou eaten of the tree whereof I commanded thee that thou shouldest not eat? And the man said, The woman whom thou gavest unto me with me, she gave me of the tree, and I did eat. Now, Adam did not have experience of, of previous uh, marriages to watch. That was not a good move on his part, right? That was just a really bad move, guys, on his part. The woman that thou gavest me. In verse number 13, And the Lord God said unto the woman, What is this that thou hast done? And the woman said, The serpent beguiled me, and I did eat. And the Lord God said unto the serpent, Because thou hast done this, thou art cursed above all cattle and above all every beast of the field. Upon thy belly shalt thou go, and the dust shall, uh, shall thou eat all the days of thy life. And let's read verse number 15. And I will put enmity between thee and the woman, and between thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head. 
and thou shalt bruise his heel. And right there, God immediately gets to the gospel, which is the whole picture, the whole message of the Bible is a redemptive story of God, how God is going to bring these folks and all humanity back into reconciliation with himself. Let's pray and ask God's blessing to get on today. Father, we again thank you for this opportunity to be together, and we thank you for the opportunity to open up your word. Bless it now to our hearts. Help us, Lord, to receive it uh, with meekness, and to receive it as the words of life. In Jesus' name, amen. And you may be seated. Thank you for standing. This morning, as we get into this, I really want us to uh, remember what we touched on last week and how that we were learning that a faith-filled family is going to value God's design. God was the one who created humanity. He created male and female. That's the only two genders he created. With those two genders, he established the home. He formed the home. And a new home, a, a, a husband and, and, and a, a man and a woman coming together in marriage, committing to one another, coveting to one another, coming together in marriage, forms a new home. They're to leave father, mother, and cleave unto the, unto the wife. And, and then the Bible says he instituted and arranged the home. He said that the man is to have the responsibility to lead the home. The woman is uh, formed as a help meet or fit for her husband. And then the children are given parents to be guided to obey God, to obey their parents, and thereby learn to obey God. And so we learned all that. We are to value God's design. We're to acknowledge it. We're to submit to it. And we are to promote it in society. How many of us agree with the fact that our society needs that promoted in right now? We need to get back to God's design, and we're getting away from that, and all sorts of confusion and problems are creeping up in society as we do that. And so as we think of that, we look at the end of chapter number two, and we see that God had formed that first marriage. Therefore shall a man leave father and mother, cleave unto his wife, and they shall be one flesh. They were both naked, and the man and his wife, and they were not ashamed. Everything is glorious. Everything is good. They're still in paradise, living in perfection there. And immediately as we turn the corner into chapter number three, we mentioned last week that there's an enemy lurking out against the home. And friends, a faithful family is not only going to understand and value God's design, which is listed out in the first two chapters of Genesis and explained all throughout the Bible and explained in Ephesians chapter 5 and 6 very, in very great detail, and we do well to follow it. But a faith-filled family is also going to realize their enemy. And how many times we walk through life so casually, like, you know what, it's, it's kind of a cakewalk, it's a, it's a walk through the park, it's okay, it's not that dangerous of a life. Friends, we have an enemy that is out to destroy our families, our marriages, and us individually. And he's out to destroy a church like ours. He hates you. And there is no doubt about it, that's not sensationalism, that is not fake news, that is absolute truth. He hates you. And immediately here, it just amazes my mind, though the chapter divisions aren't, uh, weren't written in, they were added in later, do understand this, that immediately after God had just finished forming everything, and it was perfect, Satan is lurking there, ready to destroy everything God had uh, called good, everything God had created, everything God had placed in paradise, Satan is right there lurking, but the serpent is how the verse goes, and right around the corner, mm, there he is. And we have an enemy that is against us. We have an enemy that wants to destroy us. If a soldier were to walk into a battlefield, an active war zone, and he was to walk through, he, he was on break, he was in a, in a, in a, in a bunker house, he was able to, uh, to be without his protective gear, he's on break, and he walks out and he says, you know what, I'm going to, I'm going to walk through, and he, he walks out through the battle zone uh, with no protective gear on, no, no bulletproof vest, no helmet, no gun, none of that stuff that would protect him and, uh, and save his life if he was shot. And he walks out through that, and, he, and, and you look at him, and you say, has he lost it? Uh, it, it, it? We would wonder about him, and rightly so. Uh, does this man think that the enemy is going to treat him different than the, the, rest, of the uh, uh, rest of his enemies? Is, is he uh, just going to say, oh, it's that guy. I'm not going to shoot at him. I'm not going to take his life. No, uh, we would wonder at a person that would do that. No, uh, no soldier in the right mind would walk into a war zone without protective gear. But yet we walk into the war zone of life, the battlefield of our life, often, more often than we would like to admit, without our protective gear. 
And, and many times, friends, we walk into the battlefield of a day and we don't even expect, we don't even think there is a battle going to go on that day. And we walk out, you know, it's Monday, it's going to be a great day, I got this. You know, all the power of positive thinking and so forth. I got this, you, you got this, seize the day, seize the moment. And we walk into the day and, th- and we, get, we get walloped. We get a dart right, right in the chest. Fiery dart from the wicked one. Dart of doubt, dart of unbelief, discouragement, worry, anxiety. All these different things that Satan throws at us, trials that he, allow, that he, he forms in our life to bring us to our, to our knees. And we get, we get um, blindsided because we walked into a battlefield of life and with our family in tow sometimes, we walk into that battlefield not even thinking there's going to be a battle. Friends, a faith-filled family realizes that there is a battle that is waging. Now listen, a walk of faith does not mean, does not mean that we're oblivious to that battle. A walk of faith means our eyes are open to the, to the dangers around us, but our eyes are on God. And friends, as we go forward in 2021, as families, as a church, oh, how desperately we need to realize there is an enemy against us. Every advance, you can mark it down. You can, you can be guaranteed that our church will face a spiritual battle this week as we take a step to reach out. We're always wanting to reach out. We're always wanting to engage our community. We're always wanting to give the gospel everywhere we go. But you guarantee, if we all get together and say, by God's grace, we're going to work together. And by God's grace, we're going to see people saved. And by God's grace, we're going to give the gospel. You can mark it down. Satan is right around the corner, just like he was in paradise here saying and he's right around the corner now the serpent was more subtle he's going to sneak in and he's going to sneak into your family you know he's going to attack your family and he's doing that every single week you know we think that it's just circumstances that cause a family to break apart well they just fell out of love do you not think that satan's in there aggravating that relationship and causing problems and and uh, and tempting them to make wrong choices and wrong wrong assessments of one another and make uh, make uh, wrong choices about one another? Absolutely is. Do you think that Satan is attacking your children? Can, can, can Satan, the enemy of our souls, attack children? Can he tempt them? Oh, yes. Our families are under constant attack, and, and the thing I want us to realize that 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 uh, we as faith-filled families must realize there's an enemy. Now, it, the enemy is not, and we can oftentimes we can look at the circumstances, we can look at the, the situations, the people, and we can say, that's the enemy. If I just didn't have this in my life, I'd be good. Maybe you've said that before. But if I could just get rid of this problem in my life, I'd be good. And we look at the, the circumstances or a person, an individual, a, a, someone who rules over us, we look at those things as, as the enemy. But let me just help us to realize, the enemy that was here in the garden was not the apple or whatever fruit it was. It was not the tree. It was not the weather. It was not the circumstances. It was not all the things around it. It was Satan himself. Think about this. The snare is not the rabbit's enemy. The person who set the snare is the rabbit's enemy. And behind every trap that we fall into in our Christian lives, and behind every snare, behind every deception, is someone lurking, and his name is Satan. And he wants to, he wants to trap you. He wants to destroy your family. And we need to be very, very aware. That's why the Bible tells us to be sober and to be vigilant. And don't walk through life as if there's no one that's going to attack you. You walk that way, you're going to get shot in the back. You're going to get hurt. You're going to get snared. Oh, friends, how we need to realize this, and we need to realize our enemy. So my goal today is to not just focus on him, because really, let's just be honest, that's not really, that's not really a great, uh, great focus. But we need to be aware of it. So I want us to be aware of it. And so let's notice, first of all, that our enemy is what the Bible says. He's very subtle. He is working in, in the shadows. He's working in, in a way that is behind the scenes. He's very, very subtle. Now, the serpent was more subtle than any other beast of the field. What's this idea of subtle? He's crafty, and the word literally means he's marked by skill and deception. He's marked by skill and deception. The Bible says that this is the serpent. 
In Revelation 20, in verse number 2, uh, God himself uh, identifies a serpent as Satan himself. And so here he is. He's showing up in the form of a, a serpent, in the form of a, a created being, and he is subtle. He's marked by deception. And we can think of folks that are marked by um, deception, but the, the fact is no one is as marked by deception as Satan himself. And as we look at all the deception that's going around us, Who's the father of all those things? Who's the father of lies? Well, the Bible tells us, John 8, 44, you're of the father, your devil, speaking to the Pharisees, and the lust of your father you will do. He was a murderer from the beginning. He was the one who brought about the death upon all the human race, the separation from God. It came from his temptation. He's a murderer from the beginning, and, uh, and abode not in the truth, because there is no truth in him. He, uh, when he speaketh a lie, he speaketh of his own, for he's a liar and the father of it. So he is, he is the one who is the, the marked by all this deception and this lie, and he is out to get us with those things. And so here he is with Eve, and he is being more subtle than any other beast of the field. He is lying. And I want us to know that he's subtle in this. He's subtle in the very way that he appears. Satan doesn't come to you, knock on your front door and say, I'm Satan, I want to destroy your family. Guys, he doesn't come to you and say, hey, I want you to look at this, I want to destroy your life. Hi, I'm Satan. I want to be acquainted. No, he doesn't do that. He appears as the angel of light, the Bible says. The angel of light. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians 11 and verse 14, and no marvel for Satan himself is transformed into an angel of light. Satan always appears like he has your best interest in mind. He always appears good. Just think about this. Eve was not afraid of, of this serpent. How many of you uh, ladies or men are afraid of snakes? And uh, you that are like snake charmers, like you enjoy the snakes, you have one of those, you know, just keep that to yourself. Ugh. We, uh, we had a rat snake at our house that was about four foot long, and it, uh, it found itself on our front porch a while back, and it was looking in the window, right? Yeah, it's just, yeah, I know. And you know, my wife didn't go out there and take that thing out. I, 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 w I was the one, and I came home, and she took pictures from the other side, but I, I came home, and I, I had the, the, the wonderful privilege to take that thing to the woods and let it go. Uh, no, I didn't kill because it, 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 uh, it eats rats for us, you know, so I keep mice out of the way, so I took it out into the woods and just try to keep things covered in the garage, and they like dog food and that type of stuff. So anyway, but the, the point is, you know, Eve, Eve wasn't startled by this thing. Have you thought about that? She's having a conversation with a snake. She's not running. This is paradise. This is one of God's created beings came off looking nice. I don't know what the serpent looked like ahead of the curse. All I know is Satan has the ability to transform himself and to present himself very, very well, very, very appealing. Friends, we need to be cautious because that's the type of foe we're up against. Satan works in the shadows. Do you notice that Adam and Eve weren't together at the tree? Uh, she was separated from him. And I'm not reading anything into that other than he likes to get us alone. He likes to work in our lives when we're alone and, and, and away from someone else who could say, no, 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 God said we shouldn't do this. He likes to get uh, 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 children alone for, uh, away from their parents and to dwell in secrecy so that they get involved in things that will destroy their lives without their parents even knowing about it. He likes a husband to get involved in things that, that uh, and, and tempted him to get involved in things that no one else knows about that are destroying his life, and it looks like it's all going well, but it's destroying his life, and no one else knows about it. No one else could come along and say, you know what, brother? This is hurting you. Can I help you out? Satan loves to work in the shadows, and he loves secrecy. Oh, he loves secrecy. You know that sin thrives and grows in, in the shadows? Sin thrives and grows in secrecy. Satan works best there. But I want us to notice this. Satan sets a snare in our lives, and it is a subtle snare. And notice what it says here in verse number, uh, verse number one. He immediately gets to a question. He says, Yea, half God said, ye shall not eat of every tree of the garden. Hey, I, I'm, I'm bringing the words of God to you. Didn't God say this to you? 
And I want us to think about this. Satan brings a subtle snare into our lives, and it is this, that he causes us simply to question God's word. He doesn't say, hey, why don't you go out and do something outlandishly against God? No, he simply says to us, why don't you question God's word? Or did God really say that? Now think about that. That is subtle. Because the basis of all sin in our lives, the basis of all going against God, is simply beginning to doubt his very truth in his word. And friends, he's doing it over and over to us every day of our lives, and we do not even realize it. We're like Eve, we carry on a conversation, well, you didn't really say it that way, and we go back and forth with Satan, we dialogue in our hearts, and I'm telling you, Satan sets a, the most clever trap and is simply to question God's word. Listen, run when your heart begins to say, did God's word really say that? Even in a gathering like this, when we're looking at the word of God and some verses might go against your, your, your thinking or go against your heart, I urge you not to say, you know what, is that really what God said? get into it, dive into it like the, the Berean believers and dive into it and try to understand it more and more, but don't have a questioning heart towards God. That's exactly what happened with Eve. She followed uh, Satan down that pathway and it was a bad pathway to go down. Uh, it's just a question. Don't I have the right to question? We live in an age where everything is questioned, don't we? We live in an age where people are constantly questioning God's word. Don't I have a right to question God's word? Don't I have a right? And friends, listen, uh, and we, we have this mindset, and, and it's passed on to us from the world. Uh, can God really know what is best for me? Is his word really relevant to me today? Is his word still relevant? It was written so many years ago. Isn't that one of the things that people lodge against the Bible? It was written by men so many years ago. All of these are simply questions of the word of God. And my point is that Satan is so subtle he can get you to make steps to big, destructive sins in our lives by simply getting us to start with questioning God's word. That's what he did. And that's how he ruined paradise. And that's how he's going to attack your family this week. Think about this. The Bible tells us God's grace is sufficient. I was having this conversation with my wife. God's grace is sufficient. How many times does God put something in front of us and we say, we cannot go on? We cannot go on. I can't go through this. Wait a minute. God said his grace is sufficient. He will not give us above that we are able to handle. So we begin to question. There has to be another way around this. Now God says, I have enough grace for you to get through this. And we say, no, there, there has to be another way around this. I, I don't feel this grace. And friends, even in that moment, we are questioning God's word and his truth. It's pretty amazing. Satan is so clever, and we must be aware of this. God's truth always sets free. Satan's snares, his lies always bring into bondage. What did Jesus say? And you shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. And so what is Satan trying to do? Get you to doubt the truth. Oh, let's hold high the word of God. Let's hold high in our hearts, in our homes, in our individual lives. But I want us to notice that Satan, our enemy, is strategic. He has three devices inside of his toolbox of temptation. Three devices that he uses, and we see it here in verse number six. If you'll notice with me, and when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree to be desired to make one wise, she took of the fruit thereof and did eat, and then she gave it to her husband. Now remember here, Satan is going to use three things to allure Eve away from paradise into something that she thinks is better. That's always a, it's always a problem when we, when we are thinking that what God gave us is not good enough, Right? That's always a problem, the spirit of discontent. So she is being lured away from paradise, all that God had given her, all the glories of the garden. In fact, I want us to remember this, I believe it's chapter 2 and verse number 19, that it says uh, that, that all the trees, they were very pleasant, they were beautiful, they were, they were in, in, beautiful in their own way that God had given to them. And yet she is lured away from all the beauty, all the goodness, all the desirableness of, the gar uh, of that all that God had given for this one tree. This is what I need. And so he's very strategic. How does he do this? The same way he does it with you and I. 
I want us to cross-reference with First uh, John chapter 2 and verse number 15. First John 2 and verse number 15, the Bible says, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man love the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Now notice this. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh and the lust of the eyes and the pride of life is not of the Father, but he is of the world, and the world passeth away, and the lust thereof, but he that doeth the will of God abideth forever. And I, I, I present to you this morning, and this is probably not new to many of you, but maybe to some of you it is. And I want us to really hear this and, and, and be reacquainted with this because Satan, in the very basics of our, our human life, in the way that we're made up, he is tempting us and luring away uh, us from paradise, from what God has designed and all the goodness that God has given to us. By the way, doesn't the Bible say that he daily loads us with benefits? And yet, how many times do we run to what Satan is offering us, saying, this is better than what God gave me today? Mm, we do the same thing as Eve. And Satan is right in the mix, and he's tempting us away. Now, we have a choice to make. Uh, the whole statement, the devil made me do it, well, we had a choice to make. I remember, as uh, I, I, I'm guessing I was a young teenager, um, my dad had a shop, and we were on a, a ministry property, and we had a... Uh, we had an air compressor. My dad had one of those giant air compressors that was, you, you know, guys, the ones that just have an you know, amazing amount of air inside of them. We had, we had concocted a two-liter pop bottle launcher. Does anyone know what, I, any of you guys know what I'm, I'm talking about? Okay, so, um, but you want this thing to launch as far as possible and preferably into neighbor's yard or something like that. And so, I mean, we had a big property, but it was, it was going to have to go across the mountain system, a, a mountain septic system. It was going to go far, and we'd fill them up with water and so on. But my friend Jesse and I, uh, we were this one day, we were, trying, we were trying to figure out how to get this thing to go further. So we were using a green pop bottle, probably a Mountain Dew. I love Mountain Dew. We were using a green pop bottle, and uh, we had that thing on there, but we got the idea. It wasn't going as far as we wanted to, and, and we were filling it with water and so forth to give it some weight, and we, we had a we had a nice lever on that thing so we could launch that, let the air into it really quick. We could launch that thing and it would go. So this one day we decided that we would put duct tape, duct tape for anything. We would duct tape that thing onto the, Brother Morris, <laughs> I'm getting a kick out of your, your laugh here. And, uh, and so I, he, uh, we, we duct taped that thing on and then we decided that we'd hold it as well. All right, so we're, we're there, you get the, and, and you know what, uh, they say that, uh, I'm sorry teenagers for the next statement here, but they say that between, in the teenage years, your brain is being rewired, right, and you're turning into an adult, God is creating you into an adult, and so there's, there's, there's a span there where you really do not think like normal human beings, right? <laughs> <laughs> you understand? We love you, but you are, you are going through a change in your life. Your brain is being rewired, and I was going through that change in my life, and so we're holding on to this thing. Well, the, the, the problem is the pressure inside uh, got too great for the pop bottle, and we had, we, we had that thing explode in our, in our face. Um, my friend Jesse was close, closer to the, uh, to, the, uh, to the explosion zone, and uh, he, got, he got it in his hand. I mean, it, 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 it sent trap plastic into his hand. Well, the problem is now you have to, you have to go confess to moms because it's going to be hard. It's going to be hard. And so we went up and we knocked on the front door of his mom's house uh, and, and we simply said this. We had, we had come up with this. The devil made us do it. You know, I, I remember saying that, and she's like, oh, no, <laughs> oh, no, you know, that's not, we have, choices to, we have choices to make, it's a reality, the devil doesn't make us do anything, we, we have choices to make, but he tempts us, doesn't he? He tempts us, and he tempts us right out of paradise, right out of God's plan, right out of God's goodness to us. The goodness of God is what leads us to repentance, yet how many times, even in our own Christian lives, we get tempted away from the good God that we, uh, we, uh, we get to serve and has saved our souls, it's amazing to me. So, and I, in my life, I face it as well. We're, we're all humans here, and I said a moment ago, we're not perfect, and this is where the rubber meets the road. We are constantly being tempted and alert away from the goodness of God. And so he says here that in, in 1 John that he does this through the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. When we think back to exactly what happened in, in the garden, the Bible says there in verse number 6, and the woman saw 
that the tree was good for food. Now, that word good has the idea of desirable or, or pleasant. How many of you ladies understand that chocolate is good for food? Not always good for you, but good for food. You understand? And, and oh, you can overdose on chocolate, right? Uh, there's other things you say, boy, that looks good. McDonald's, I mean, the way that they, they advertise their sandwiches, it always looks good. It doesn't feel good a little later on, but it always looks good to you. Uh, I think of, of Speedway and our, our brother in here uh, somewhere. Uh, who work, uh, works for Speedway, and, and you know, they, they design their food to look good for us. What are they trying to do? Get you to eat it. That's going to look good for me. Even though we know inside of our minds, you know what? What's inside of this burger isn't good for us, but it's going to be pleasant. It's going to make me feel good. We even have that term. It's feel-good food, right? And so we talk about that, and it's the lust of the flesh here. She is, she is craving it on the inside. This is going to be good for me. And so the lust of the flesh is everything that appeals to the carnal or physical appetite. Now, those appetites aren't necessarily wrong. In fact, the natural desires, hunger, boy, I'm hungry for that isn't a wrong desire. God built us with that. Uh, uh, sexual fulfillment isn't a wrong desire. God built us with that. And, and in the right place, it's a good thing. But God, um, Satan uses our lawful desires, our lawful physical cravings to cause us to be ensnared in something that is unlawful. And so you think about it. This is why people engage in fornication. This is why people engage in gluttony. Because Satan pulls us with something that is naturally given to us, something God-given, and pulls us away from that, and it causes us to be ensnared to something that is very dangerous and wrong. 1 Corinthians 6 and verse number 12 talks to us about that. It actually becomes a sin against our own body, God says. It destroys you. And so something that is lawful and beautiful and God has created, it destroys us when we use it in Satan's way. And so here it is that that Satan is pulling Eve away and saying, you, this is going to be so good for you. Look at this fruit that God has said you can't have. Look at it. It's going to bless you physically. It's going to help you physically. It's going to meet your physical appetite. And when we cross-reference over into Jesus' temptation, Satan did the exact same thing over there in Matthew chapter number 4 and verse number 3 when he urged them to turn the, the, um, the stones into, uh, into bread boy, this will be good for you. This will help you. You've been, uh, you've been hungry so long. This will be pleasant to you. This is desirable for you. And so over and over, Satan uses this tactic against us. It feels good. Go ahead and do it. Go ahead and do it. It, it meets your appetite. Go ahead, and, go ahead and do it. If it's comfortable, go ahead and do it. And oftentimes, Satan is tempting us and his temptations are, are all around what makes you and I comfortable in the flesh. Don't exert yourself for Christ. That's not comfortable and convenient to you. Uh, I hear this sometimes uh, as, as we go through life. I just need some, I need some me time. I need some time to, to make me feel good and to cuddle me and you know, just to, to help me along, to, to feel better about my life. And Satan is constantly tempting us and he is uh, making that temptation based around the lust of the flesh. The lust of the flesh. Natural, God-given desires oftentimes used in a wrong way. The lust of the eyes. Notice in verse number six, and it was pleasant to the eyes. It was pleasant to the eyes. Uh, it, it, it drew her in. When she looked at it, it was beautiful. It was, it was good to look at. It was pleasant to the eyes. It's, it's appealing. It's attractive. It's something that I want. And the whole idea of this pleasant is to be inclined towards. It's the idea of inciting some greed. And so uh, Satan is using the, the beautifulness of this, of this fruit and the, and the beauty of this, op, or, on this moment to, to draw her in, to draw her in through her eye gate. And the important thing for us to understand that this lust that Satan is using against us, the lust of the eyes, it, it appeals to the eyes insatiable demand. Now think about this. Uh, the Bible says that the eyes of man are never full. They're constantly wanting more. Relationally, they're wanting more. Uh, financially, wanting more. Status, wanting more. 
The eyes of man are never full. And so Satan knows that. And Satan uses that against us. Satan uses external attraction. And whether those are good or bad, he uses an external attraction for a, a, a car or a, or a house or a, a, a position. He uses those, those attractions uh, and, and he uses them to get us and lure us in to something that would be against us and that would hurt us and ultimately be in disobedience to God. Think about Achan. Anything inherently wrong with a robe? Anything inherently wrong with money? No, but God said no. And he looks at it. Boy, it's beautiful. I haven't seen any of those in the shops that I've shopped at. But I'd love to have that. And his eyes drew him in. And Satan uses the lust of the eyes, even in, uh, in Jesus' temptation, Matthew 4 and verses 8 through 9, the devil tried to tempt Jesus by, uh, by the lust of the eyes when he showed him all the kingdoms of the world in their glory. Hey, this could be yours. This could be yours. Looks so good. Looks so good. I want that better car. Looks so nice. I want the nicer clothes. I want that bigger house. I want to live in a, a place that, that has those kind of trees and that type of climate and the lust of the eyes pulling in, pulling away from God. Satan has derailed many with beautiful ads showing what could be. This is what could be yours. Satan is a masterful advertiser. Masterful. And friends, he's going to do it through the lust of the flesh, what makes us feel good. He's going to do it through the lust of the eyes, what draws us in, what's attractive. He's going to do it in this way. So he has these tools in his toolbox, but also the pride of life. May I just add this? Think about this. We live in a day of technology where ads are in front of us all the time. All the time. They make what is very, very sinful look very, very pleasant. Even this month, as we're in Pride Month, which is against God, as, as we understand, pride is against God in its, very, in, in its very origin. But understand this. Even when we're in the midst of this month, that is Pride Month, do you know how Satan makes it look so good? He even uses God's symbol as a promise to never flood the earth again as a symbol for that which is an abomination to God. He uses something very, very beautiful, very beautiful, and he puts it right on his advertising. Like, this is all good. You know, it is absolutely wrong for us to go around in pride in our own lives. God says those that exalt themselves, he will abase. And especially in the instance where they're exalting themselves that in their sin against God, it's directly in the face of God. But I just want us to understand, Satan makes it look so good. Like, this is the right thing to do. You're, you're not a real good uh, citizen of the world if you do not go along with this, if you do not follow suit with this. You're not, you know, this is, this is something that is good. We should all just accept one another, which we should, we should have respect towards one another, but we should help people get to Jesus so he can change their lives, you understand? And so under, understand Satan is advertising all this, trying to get people to go along with it. Yeah, I'll go along with your thing. And it's so, so against God. He uses the lust of the eyes. The lust of the eyes, I think, in, even just in the shopping, I think, think how, many, how many things can you buy on Amazon? I'm not, I'm not downing Amazon. I'm just saying that you can, you can buy anything in the world just, to, I mean, a, a click away. And it's all there. And how much easier now is it to be allured with the lust of the eyes and just to go after and to go on shopping sprees that, that we don't really have the money for or we don't really need or doesn't honor God and just to go after that away from God, the lust of the eyes. The pride of life, notice in verse number six, and a tree to be desired to make one wise. Now, I was thinking about that. Where does wisdom come from? You can talk to me. Where does wisdom come from? It comes from God, right? Now, notice here. And a tree desired to make one wise. Satan literally tempted her to think that this tree was going to give her something that God had not already given her. Wow. This idea of making wise is to, to give success, to give understanding, the ability to understand. And notice what Satan said, you, you'll be able to discern, you'll be like God, the gods to discern good and evil. Like she really needed to know evil. God didn't create her in that environment and like she really needed that. No, 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 uh, not at all. But Satan says, listen, this will make you wise. And so he puts in front of her the pride of life. The pride of life is everything that appeals to our haughtiness, 
to our arrogance and pride. How many of you just, just would agree with me? We struggle with pride. How many of you put your hand uh, to that? You know, we struggle with pride in our own ways, in our own life. Sometimes we're, we're really shy and backwards, and we don't want to put ourselves out there, and, and, and it's a form of pride. Other times, the other extreme is that we put ourselves way out there and always want to be the center of attention, and, we, and, and that's a form of pride. And there's all this, this pride that goes on in our hearts. And God says, I, I hate pride. I hate pride. But yet Satan uses the pride of life, that desire to, to be exalted in our lives. And he uses it against us. He uses it as a temptation. If you do this, you'll be seen in a better light. If you'll do this, you'll be appreciated. You'll be valued. If you do this, you'll finally be recognized. And he uses that against us, that that haughtiness, that arrogance that is in our hearts as sinful human beings. He uses that. And in this uh, this category, this tool of temptation, Satan uses the the contemplation of personal achievement to to produce an an, an, uh, anarchical uh, self-arrogance or a self-sufficiency in our life, where we are literally in anarchy against God. We are against God in our own lives. I can be good on my own. I I can have all that I need. I can be wise on my own without God. I can be wise as a result of having this fruit from this tree. And Satan works at that. And he's constantly trying to pat us on the back and get us to follow our own pride with Jesus. We find that happening in Matthew 4 and verses 5 and 6 when he took him up uh, into the holy city and he sets him on the pinnacle of the, the temple and he urged him to jump, uh, jump and the angels would come down and bear thee up. Hey, I want, you to, I want you to follow through on this and just imagine what a beautiful, wonderful scene this would be when you are, you are rescued by angels. What a wonderful thing that this will be uh, and, and appealing to, his, to the, um, the pride of life. If it promotes me, Satan wants you to, to follow after it. He often tempts us in that way. If it does not make me feel out of place, you know, one of the things that we get tempted as, as, as believers in this, this age, as the world continues on and goes against God, is the feeling, I don't want to stick out. I don't want to be different. You know what that is? Pride of life. I want to be accepted by the world. Friends, let's just mark it down right now. Believers were not intended to be accepted by the world. Do you agree with that? Now, that does not mean we're... The Bible says that we're to have a good conversation. We're to have a good lifestyle in front of them. We're to treat them well. We're to treat them with respect. We're, we're, not, to, we're not to be offensive. The gospel offends, that's one thing. But do you understand, we're peculiar. We're different. But I see many, many believers, many families who do not want to be different from the world. And your friends, you know what? It always leads to a bad place. Because it's one of the ways Satan leads us away from God's will for our life from God's paradise, from God's benefits in our life. And so what's going on here is Satan is tempting in these three ways, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That pride of life, I can, I can go on after my dream job. This is finally, this is what, God, uh, this is what I've wanted for so long, and I, I want this. Satan finally puts it there. Here's something I just want to give us a, 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 a thought about. You know, when you start making steps for God, this, this, is, this has caused me to marvel uh, many times. This person starts making steps for God. Maybe they first come to Christ, and they get saved, and they're on fire for the Lord. They're growing. And right about that time, the job that they've wanted all their life finally comes open. And then in about four weeks, you don't see them anymore. I want you to think about something. Does not Satan, is he not subtle enough to take a man who's just now beginning to lead his family or take a woman who, is, who has started to follow after God's will for her life and to say yes to God and no to, uh, no to her flesh and no, uh, no to the world and say, you know what? This thing that you've been waiting for so long, here it is. It must be a blessing from God. And then they, they, they take it and they go right after it. Now, here's the thing. It was, it was a job that they thought they took, but the job took them. Now, I'm not against a job. You understand that that's not what I'm preaching against. What I am saying is 
that many times Satan says, here it is, and then they begin to pursue that and, and forget to pursue God. They go after this temptation. Well, I finally have this position I want, but this position, the problem is, it actually makes me stay away from the house of God. It, uh, it keeps me away from my family longer. It keeps me away from the things of God. It causes me to forget my priorities. Well, who is the origin of that? If God said, do this, if God said, be faithful to the house of God, if God said, be faithful to your family, is it God that's really saying, hey, this is the job, this is my will for your life? Talk to me. Is it? And yet, over and over, I've seen that, that happen. Satan is so very clever. Well, I need to provide for my family. Yes, we do. In fact, guys, the Bible says to us, if we don't provide for our families, that we're worse than infidels. So how do we balance that out? But listen, can God give us jobs? Can God give us positions that, that will provide for our families while honoring him? Yes, but Satan always will provide for your family and cause you to dishonor God and disobey his commandments and misplace your priorities. And he does this oftentimes through the pride of life. Well, this is the position I've been looking for for such a long time. This gives me notoriety. This is the best thing for my career. So friends, I just want us to be alert to the fact Satan is clever. He is coming and he's gunning for you with these uh, three different temptations. He is, in this way, tempting us. And so all three of these devices that Satan uses against us, all three of them are directly opposed to what Jesus said to us in Matthew 16, 24, when he said, hey, I'm going to build my church and the gates of hell are not going to prevail against it. I want you to know that that's going to happen as I sacrifice myself and as well as you sacrifice yourself. He says in verse 24, then said Jesus unto his disciples, if any man will come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. All of these temptations, all of these allurements, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, when we follow after them, they're directly opposed to what Jesus said, deny yourself. Directly opposed. Satan is subtle. Satan is strategic. And you know what? For centuries, he's been using the same three things against humanity, and we've not gotten wiser toward it. And God told us right here in the Bible that that's what he would use, and that's what we should avoid. And he's given us illustrations to prove it. So we do well today to say, you know what? This week, as I go into this week, I'm going to be alert for when I'm tempted through the lust of the flesh. When I promote my feeling good and comfortable over God's will. When I promote what I'm seeing and saying, this is good for me because it looks good. And I promote that over God's will. When I promote position or my my pride and my arrogance over God's will in my life. I'm going to be on guard for that. Notice this. Satan is not just strategic. He's severe. Not one time in chapter 3 does he come to Adam and Eve when God confronts him and says, you know what? My bad. I'm sorry, Adam. I'm sorry, Eve, for messing up your life and messing up paradise. I'll do better next time. Not one time. Satan does not care when there are casualties on the roadside of life. He does not care. He does not care if your marriage ends up in divorce. In fact, he loves it if your marriage will end up in divorce. He loves it if your children will go off in their own way and break your heart. He loves it. He loves it, guys, if he can get you hooked on pornography. He loves it. And by the way, that's not just a guy's thing anymore. That's a, um, that's a lady's thing. Many, many ladies get involved. In he loves that if he can destroy and destroy his beautiful provision to a man and to a husband and wife and destroy it through some, uh, some other means. He loves it. He's not going to... You're not going to lose any sleep over your destroyed life. He's severe. And so the Bible tells us, be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil. Your adversary. Well, you know, he's just the pastor's adversary, the deacon's adversary. He's, he's those that really follow after God's. No, he is your adversary today. And he hates you. The Bible says there that he wants to devour you. He wants to gulp whole. Any of you hear about that man that was found inside of a whale recently? (laughs) Whole? That's the idea. Barring uh, God's direction and them, uh, those rescue workers, you know, being able to uh, rescue him, uh, he was a goner. I mean, there's a man that that was going to, uh, well, he has close to the story of Jonah, just I don't know how many days he was in, but that's pretty amazing, gulp hole. That's what Satan wants to do to you. He wants to take you out like that. 
And you know what? He can do that if he can just get you to, to follow the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He gets you, and he gulps you whole. He destroys your life. That's what he wants to do. And it's amazing how many times in a, in a person's life who's maybe even followed God and, 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 and gotten a little off track, started listening to temptation, how many times their fall seems so very sudden. It's not. The, the, the preparation for that fall was, was, was uh, happening a long time before, but Satan seems to just gulp that person whole. They just, and their life is destroyed, and that's exactly what God says. That's what he's trying to do to you. Satan doesn't care about your life if he destroys it. One man put it this way, Satan promises the best and pays with the worst. He promises honor and pays with disgrace. He promises pleasure and pays with pain. He promises profit and he pays with loss. He promises life and pays with death. And one of the great illustrations of that in the Bible is Judas. Where he takes the money that he had used to betray Jesus throws it down. He goes and buys a field and he kills himself. He commits suicide because of all the pain of what he's going through. Satan had let him, you know what would be better if you just betray him? Turn this guy in. Here's the money. Well, what a, what a tragic ending is Judas's. What a tragic ending. And that's what he wants to do to you. He, he does not care. He got what he wanted. Jesus was betrayed and put on the cross. And in the midst of it, Judas's life was absolutely ruined and lost. He doesn't care. So he's severe. He's playing to kill. He's not, he's not coming into this battlefield with a, with a knife. He, is, he has brought a gun to the, to, the, to the battle, and he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy your life. He wants to destroy you very much. And so here's the thing I want to really end on. I'm going to ask you to just do some further meditation on this because our time is not going to allow us to all, all, go all the way through this. But I want us to realize this, that Satan, our enemy, can be stood against. We're not, we're not victims here. We're victors. We're on the right side. Don't you believe that this morning? Now, how many of you would agree with me that there's times where, I, I, where we lose a battle? And we, we give in to the lust of the flesh or the pride of life and we've gotten some scrapes and some scars along the way and those scrapes and those scars are are good for us to and now to remind us hey this is a serious battle we don't want to do that again but god tells us we have everything we need to stand against satan and ultimately the battle is between him and god right it's something we can't we can't win on our own and and the fact is, if you'll turn over to Ephesians 6, we'll spend on the rest of our time there. Ephesians chapter 6 tells us exactly what we need. And by the way, Adam and Eve had everything they needed too. They had the word of God. They had God. They, they had a relationship with God. They had everything they needed on to stand against Satan in that moment. But they, they did not. But God further tells us in Ephesians chapter 6 that we can stand. And as you're turning there, I want to remind you of this fact. Satan is already a defeated foe. You believe that today? He is a defeated foe. The Bible says in John, 1 John 3 and verse 8, He that committeth sin is of the devil, for the devil sinneth from the beginning. For this purpose was the Son of Man made manifest, that he might destroy the works of the devil. That's amazing. God sent Jesus Christ into the world to destroy the works of the devil. We do not have to be, fall prey to the works of the devil, to his temptations and to his allurements and to his getting us to question God's word. We do not have to. Those works were already destroyed if we'll stay close to God. And so Ephesians chapter 6 and verse number 10 says this, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles, the methods, the toolbox, the temptations of the devil. For we wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. And all God's people said, yes, that's true. Verse 13. Wherefore, take unto you the whole armor of God. If we're really in a battlefield, God says, take on, take on armor. I got armor for you. Take on armor. That you may be able to, able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand. The idea of stand there is to endure. Like our, 
Sunday evening series through 1 2 Timothy, to endure. To endure as a good soldier of Jesus Christ. That's the idea there. And it's to, uh, to stay standing, to face with courage, to be there. To not zone out in the, in the battlefield of life. To not step out of the battlefield of life, but to stay there. Now, the Christian life is not passive. If you thought following Jesus was just going to be something, like, I, I, I get saved and then it's all going to be really great. No, you get saved and Satan is gunning for you. He wants to neutralize your witness. He does not want you to be on fire. He does not want you to go to heaven and take somebody with you. He wants to constantly tempt you and try to get you to believe that it is impossible for you to share the gospel with someone and you to be able to lead someone to bring someone to faith in Jesus Christ. He wants you to think that it is impossible to raise a godly family in this day. He wants to neutralize your impact in this day and in this evil day. And God says, no, you don't have to do that. You must be active. You must stand. You must endure. You must face the battle field with courage and so thou therefore endure hardness as a good soldier of jesus christ choose to take a stand but before you do make sure you put on armor here's what sometimes we do we get all bold and cocky and we say i'm going to take a stand i'm going to i'm going to be against satan and sometimes this happens in new believers but sometimes in older believers as well and and we we get this idea i i have the power I have the ability to stand against. I have the willpower to stand against, the, uh, stand against this. And I'll, I'll hear, and I've shared this with you, uh, with you before. I have, I have ministered with folks who might get clean from, uh, from an addiction, and, uh, and they'll say something like this. I'm never, ever going back. I got this thing. And I'll always tell them this. I said, be careful. Be careful. And I've never seen one person stay clean who has had that attitude that I got this? Because Satan sweeps in and he gets that pride and he just, he just pulls it over on him. Friends, Satan is crafty. And God says, you must go on, you must stand against this, but you have to have the armor on. And so I've written down there some uh, the armor brief explanations. Year, uh, several years ago, we, we did a series here called Battle Ready. The third message in that series, which is available at our website, is a, a complete explanation of the armor as we go through them in detail. I'm not going to re-preach that message here this morning, but I'll tell you this, as we summarize these, I want us to realize that the belt of truth is absolutely necessary. It is, God starts there, the belt of truth is necessary because it is that which holds all the rest of the pieces of armor together. It is the truth of God's word, the absolute truth of God's revelation, and without that, all your armor is ineffective. It's, it's loose, it's flopping, it's not effective with, uh, uh, with, uh, without that that belt of truth. And so God says, make sure you put on verse number 14, the belt of truth. The breastplate of righteousness is that personal righteousness given to us at salvation, but also that practical righteousness that we get to walk in as we learn to be more and more like Jesus Christ. That protects the very vital organs of our lives. That protects our hearts. Uh, guard your heart. Uh, uh, keep your heart with all diligence for out of it are the issues of life. And it's a breastplate of righteousness. God says you need it on. You need to be walking in holiness, the holiness that I have given you in Jesus Christ. You need to be walking in that. That will be a breastplate of righteousness, a protection to your very heart. The shoes shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. This is the confidence that the gospel gives us to go forward in the battle. The confidence knowing that I am a child of God. And yes, as a child of God, I can face the battle that is in front of me that God has allowed in my life today. I can face it with courage and with confidence that, that in the end, I will be with God. Nothing's going to take me out. I am on the winning side, the shield of faith, that protective trust and dependence upon God, that reliance upon God. Every single one of our members who's working this, um, this week must be very careful to have all these pieces of armor on. Every person here needs to have all these pieces of armor on. Why? Because Satan's gunning for you. He's going to throw fiery darts this week. He's going to throw them today. And without these pieces of armor, we're going to be taken out. The shield of faith, depending on him, Where's your dependence today? Is your shield of faith up? I am depending on him. That dependence, that recognition that I need God more than anything today. No, I need this bill to be paid. No, you need God more than anything today. I need this relationship to be right. You need God more than anything today. That's your shield of faith that protective dependence on him, the helmet of salvation, the protection of the hope of our salvation. Yes, I'm saved, and I know it, 
and nothing can separate me from God. Verse number 16, the sword of the Spirit. It's the very word of God, not just the, the general word of God, but it's actually the verses. It's not just about God, but it's what God says. And he says, you need to know what my word says. You need to hide it in your heart so that you can use it against Satan. This is the sword of the Spirit, the very specific words of God. And then he says, prayer. You need communication with your master for direction and wisdom in the daily battle. And you need to couple that with watchfulness. You need to make sure that you are praying every single day. Friends, listen, I, the, the longer I'm a Christian, the more I realize if I don't pray, I'm out. I'm, I'm going to be shot down in the battle. I'm going to be discouraged. I'm going to be worried. I'm going to have problems in my Christian life if I do not simply pray and stay watchful. What did Jesus tell his disciples there in the garden? Watch and pray lest ye enter into temptation. So we have these pieces of armor. We have these practices, the watching and praying that we must, we must make sure that we are doing. God says this is the way that you stand against the enemy. Now if you realize today that the enemy is real and he's gunning for you today, and you realize you need God's armor for your life to help you be protected, probably the next realization that you have is, well, I feel so inept to, to accomplish this. And I, I hope in a way that that's the way that you feel. Because all this ought to send us running to God today. God, if there's, there's a true enemy lurking for my life and my family, guys, guys, husbands, fathers, there's a true enemy lurking for my family, would you not just, just run to God and say, God, I need you so very badly. I need your help with this armor. I need your help today. And the Bible helps us to understand that, that God is greater than our enemy in the world. Greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world, 1 John 4 and verse number 4. Understand that we can run to God. And if you think that you can outsmart Satan, you can outwit him and outstrength him, you got it wrong, you, you're, you're going to be a casualty on the on roadside of life. And listen, we need to run to him. Our Heavenly Father is infinitely more powerful than Satan is. I want to leave us with this. Psalm 91, would you turn there with me? As you're turning, the life of faith, a faithful family is not oblivious to the danger into the battle. The faithful family is very aware of the battle, but where their eyes are makes all the difference. Where their reliance, where their dependence uh, is, makes all the difference in the world. And so that's why I say, let's run back to God. Psalm 91 and verse number one. He that dwelleth in the secret place of the Most High shall abide under the shadow of the Almighty. I will say of the Lord, He is my refuge and my fortress. Is He your refuge and fortress today? That's what the psalmist said. This is my testimony. He's my refuge and fortress. My God, in Him will I trust. Now notice here, surely He shall deliver thee from the snare of the fowler. Who is that fowler? Satan. You, know, you can't outwit Satan. But God has made it possible for us to stand against him with God and close to God. And friends, today, the biggest thing that we need to just realize is Satan, Satan's against us. We have an enemy. And I can run safely to God and find shelter, a fortress, and I can find his protective hands moving me away from the snare, taking me out of the, out of the way, protecting me, delivering me, saving me from the, the vicious attacks of Satan against my life. So where do we need to be today? In the shadow of the Almighty. Where does your family need to be? In the shadow of the Almighty. No job can give you what God can, uh, can give you. No Geographic location can provide for your family, provide the pleasure, the blessing, the encouragement, the fulfillment that God himself can give you. No relationship can give you what God can give you. We need to be with him. And that's the safe place. And that's the place of victory. Stay close to him. So a faith-filled family, a faithful family realizes there's an enemy. 
and runs to God. And would you join me this morning just acknowledging, God, I need you again. And I need you this week. And our church needs you. And let's pray in that way. Father, we admit that oftentimes we get to, in our minds that we can do it on our own, that we can stand against Satan and that we can do this Christian life on our own, but we can't. And Lord, we want to admit that to you today. And we want to come to you and find ourselves in the shadow of the Almighty. Lord, I pray that you would take these truths that have been communicated and I pray that you'd make them clear and that you would use them in our hearts to give us victory this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. With your heads bowed in an attitude of prayer this morning, have you become careless about Satan? Kind of been walking through your Christian life oblivious to the battle. Been careless about the fact that he's after you. He's after your family. Dads, have you become careless about praying for your family, leading your family to prayer? Been careless about teaching your, your family the word of God? Have you personally, all of you, become careless about putting on the armor, saying, God, I need your word, your specific words in my heart. I need to rely on you and have up my shield of faith. I need to be praying and being watchful in these perilous times. I'm careless about Satan. How many say, boy, God's worked in my heart and just caused me to realize this morning my, the incredible enemy that's against me. And I've realized that this morning. There's a sobriety that's come to my heart this morning about this. Pastor, God worked in my heart specifically in that way. Is anyone like that? Amen. Yeah, you have an enemy. I'm going to say, I realize my need, and I've, I've been going my own way. I've been kind of not, not trusting in the Lord, not dependent on Him, not dependent on His strength and seeking His armor. And God's worked in my heart that I just need to run to God this morning and seek those things from Him. Amen. Anyone else joining those hands that are up? It means we're going to be getting in the Word. We're going to be getting in prayer. We're going to be be around those that would encourage us to do that. Amen. Is anyone here this morning that does not know for certain that you're a child of God? You don't know in your heart that when you die that you'll spend eternity with God, that your sins are forgiven? Anyone like that here? I don't know for certain that when I die I'll spend eternity in heaven. I'd like to. No one's looking around, but would you do me the favor of just putting up your hand and let me know? I'm not certain that I'm saved. I'm not certain that when I die, I'll spend eternity with God, that all my sins are forgiven. I'm not certain about that, but I'd like to. Amen. Anyone else? I'm going to give you just a, another moment of time to pray and commit these things to the Lord. You're welcome to pray here at the front or kneel there at your seat. Maybe you're just voicing a prayer to God. God, I, I come back to you. I thought I could do this on my own. thought I could be a big person. But I could do this on my own, but I'm coming back to you. And God, I need you so bad today. I've gotten beat up in the past week with some of the attacks of Satan. I've fallen prey to some of his temptation, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life, the lust of the flesh. God, I need your forgiveness, forgiven into temptation. And I need you to help me make this week different. Thank you for listening today. For more information about Grace Baptist Church, please visit our website at gracebaptistofkettering.org. And remember, you are always welcome at Grace Baptist Church.